Hi, everyone. We're back with this week's episode of Commitment Matters. Sylvia Smith-Turk is my guest today, and you're going to love hearing her voice of experience. Sylvia is the co-chair of ALTA's State Legislative and Regulatory Action Committee. And if you haven't heard of SLURAC, they're handling many legislative and regulatory issues going on at the state level. It's an important committee and one you'll want to pay more attention to. She's been in title and settlement since she began as an escrow officer in 1990, and she's past president of the Nevada Land Title Association. Sylvia and I had a wide-ranging discussion covering redaction of public records, data privacy, how the mix of business is changing in a unique time in our markets. And as you listen to the ladies of season six, I encourage you to take their examples and think about how to find your tribe inside our industry. If you have a niche that interests you, I mean, maybe education is your thing, or maybe you like marketing. Maybe it's the dorkiness of state or federal legislative or regulatory matters that are your jam. And I admit to being kind of guilty here. Reach up or reach out to a leader in that area and introduce yourself. Volunteer for service. It doesn't take much time, and I promise the benefits will far outweigh any time you do spend. If you don't know who to reach out to, give us a shout here. All our contact information is listed in the show notes, and we're happy to make an introduction for you. We are stronger together. So as you listen to Sylvia, think about finding your in and let us know if we can help. And now, enjoy listening to our friend and a lady in our industry whom we really admire, Sylvia Smith-Turk. Well, Sylvia, we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us on Commitment Matters. We're looking forward to talking with you today. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor, Mary, and great to see you again. It's always great to be with you. Well, one of the things that you're very active in on the national front with ALTA is you do serve as the co-chair for the state. Now, this is a hard one for a lot of people to say. The (laughs) State Legislative and Regulatory Action Committee, which we refer to as SLURAC. Yes. Sounds like we've been in the bar too long. I know. SLURAC. So you've been the co-chair of that. I'd love for you to talk about what's been going on. I have some specific questions, but generally what's been going on in the committee? What types of things are you seeing? Let people know about that. Well, you know, it's it's become a very active committee, especially over the last year, I would say. Year and a half, it's changed very dramatically. It's the state members' committee. It's their place and their time to be able to talk about things that are going on in their area. We also set each year kind of a list of goals or purpose of the committee. And then we've been bringing in some great speakers to attest to each of those. Like last, this month's speaker was Priya. We'll have ULC in and it's become very interactive and a lot more participation, which is amazing. And then it's a forum too for each state to talk about bills that they may be seeing so that others can be prepared for what may be coming soon (laughs) to their areas. We all know that happens probably more times than not. You'll hear a bill in one state and think, ah, you know, we won't see that here. And then lo and behold, your next session, it comes up and you're like, I know people to call on this. That's probably the best part. So 
Well, and it's so important. It's always important because real estate, obviously, so local. And with insurance being state regulated instead of federal regulated, so those state issues are always important. But also, as we see more of a de-emphasis on some things at the federal level, the state stuff has even emerged higher as important matters to watch. So I'm glad that you're having the corollary increased activity from the members. Like I said, I think it's really exciting. I have been doing this committee. I should go look that up and know how many years, but it's It's been been a a long time. And it's so nice to see so much more interaction and the amount of people on the calls have probably at least doubled in the last year or so. That tells me we're talking about things that matter and people care about and they want to know more. And like you said, a lot of state things like the Privacy Act, we all know where the big bill (laughs) first started. Mm -hmm. And well, now it's being talked about on a national level. Redaction, all of those things have, they started small and now they've gotten federal attention. So it's a great forum to be able to address and discuss that. Well, and those are a couple of the specific things I knew I wanted to talk about with you today. So let's talk about redaction. Let's kind of talk about a little bit of the history of that, where it started, kind of where we're seeing the activity now. And for somebody, if their state has not even brought this up yet, let's give a little one-on-one on what the issue is. And then let's talk about what we see happening out there. So redaction started, actually, Nevada for one, has had a law in the books for several years that was pretty much a simple police, judges, you know, the more visible, political isn't the right word, but visible people who would be concerned about their address being public. And then, of course, it became a federal issue when the judge, and I believe it was New York, son was murdered. Yes. So of course mm-hmm. that has become a huge issue. So it's it's one example of how states who had maybe a lesser or a less known bill on the books where now it's become a, a national talking point. And it's not just for public figures anymore, right? It's also for domestic violence and yes. some of those other things. And so the idea is, I think a lot of people ask, well, don't we have a law on the books that it's already illegal in a lot of places to say protest in front of a judge's home or another, you know, high profile, certainly if they're government official. And the point to this is, yes, that's already illegal in a lot of places, but let's take it upstream a little bit and make it harder for people to find out where these addresses even are, how to get to the people in the first place. Correct. On the land title side, while we're 100% a proponent of assisting and allowing that to happen. From our end, we're also having to look at it for future title insurance, because if we have to be able to search and find, so a lot of it on our end is educating that if you can redact that information depending on your state's laws, but at some point that will become public if you sell or when you first buy, there's going to be that moment or week or however long, depending on your state time where that's available. And we can't break the chain 
by totally blacking that out, the information redacting it to where it can never be seen because, of course, we our job is to protect property rights. So we have to be able to go back and make sure there's a clear chain of title, for lack of a better word. So it is a fine line. I know that ALTAs work very hard to create standardization or things that need to be looked at by each state. But it is very important. Yeah. And that's, yeah, a really good resource for, we have some states that are still trying to figure this out, or maybe it was a little too far, maybe in the beginning in order to be workable. So we know we have title companies that are trying to work with regulators either to right size this or get something on the books. And so I'm, I'm guessing those resources probably go a long way as sort of a guide of these are things to think about for people that are just now starting to have to deal with it. Right. Yeah, and ALTA, that's one of the things that's so exciting to see with them are, are more of the white papers, the talking points to be able to, hey, your state may be looking at this, but let's at least make sure these certain key things are, are there. It's just a great tool to be able to hand someone that's very new to it. Well, yeah, and a lot of these regulators don't even understand what we do, let alone think about it in a context like this. And so I love that we have pieces and tools that can help people because it can sound like, oh, so you're a fan of people becoming victims? No, no, no. We just have a business <laughs> that we have to also run. And there are there are ways that this can be handled to allow us to do what we need to do and allow the people the greatest degree of protection that we can help them find. Yes. That is our goal. That is our goal. Let's craft a win-win. <laughs> and you touched on another thing that I wanted to be sure and ask you about, which is sort of the offensive historical covenants and restrictions. So that started bubbling up again at different times in different areas. But for people that aren't yet familiar or only kind of vaguely familiar, give folks an overview of, of what we're talking about. It's the discriminatory covenants that I know in our area, good old Reno, Nevada, we have them in a couple of older subdivisions where it restricted by race, religion, kids, even to that point. And federally, of course, those are banned. However, because we in the title industry show how the document recorded originally, those covenants still show, even though all of us will put a disclaimer in our report, any reference to race, ethnicity, anything like that, sex, all of those things are illegal and unenforceable. People still have to see them and read them. And right now, on a national level and just in general, that is not a great, people don't want to see it. Well, no, especially when you're buying your home and you're all excited. It's our new home. I mean, whether you're a first time buyer or not, you're excited. And then, so are you guys, you're having to walk through that at the closing table with people. And how do you explain it if you do? We are, and we do. We require the covenants, conditions, and restrictions be provided to every buyer and approved. Obviously, because there may be things in them that they should want to know about maybe running a business or the number of animals or all the things that could be set out there, home 
square footage. They put all kinds of restrictions in there. And we just explain generally, like I said, same thing. These were recorded back in 1959. And during that time, as we all know, these things were happening. However, federally, they are not applicable. Most times people are okay. They don't love it. But they understand that we're showing a record that recorded in the past. Most states or a lot of states do have a mechanism. Nevada has one where a consumer can go to the county recorder, they request a form, and then those restrictions will be redacted. There are, like in Nevada, so every state's a little bit different that has addressed it. We will still see both documents. You'll see the original, and then you'll see the redacted. Because it, again, those old records, they, they have to stand and be available for reviews. So I'm wondering for an area that has a, a redaction mechanism for this kind of redaction is when you're talking with a new buyer, are they more concerned about something being redacted and they don't know what it was and they'd rather see the original or would they rather see the original and, oh God, I don't want to see that. Give me the redacted one. Like, well, how do they react to those different things? I'm curious. To be honest with you, it depends on the buyer. Some people just are, okay, I understand and I know the federal law passed, so I know it cannot be enforced. And then there are others who really want it gone. And so that it just allows them the mechanism to not have to see it in their documents. Do you have a sense of just because things that are well-intentioned and right can sometimes go too far, do you have an impression of, will we leave this at redaction or will there be another push to try to go change those historical documents and edit those things out? I personally think think, yes, it probably could get to that point. Part of the, I think, the issues that we run into is the expense, for one, for every county recorder to be able to have the ability, the personnel to be able to go back and fully find, for one, every document that those restrictions maybe in. It's just an overwhelming task. The human side of you, you want to do that, but there's right. always, unfortunately, the business side and yeah. the reality of being able to make that happen. Yeah. And what you're left in the middle is we have to have these uncomfortable conversations, but okay, we we all know that it happened. None of us feel very good about any of that. Even if we want to, we can't practically go scour all these off. And so, yeah, we're going to have to have these difficult conversations. And I hate that it makes anybody, that it tarnishes their exciting day of closing on their home and possibly even owning that home. I mean, that's that's just kind of something always sort of, while not federally applicable, it's still kind of a, it's just difficult. Yeah, it's there and it- Warts and all. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of it to where you- Sometimes you have to just accept and mm -hmm. or you don't and buy something else that maybe was built a little newer that doesn't contain those restrictions. It's the talk 
that goes on all the time about trying to cover the past where sometimes, and again, this is just me speaking that it's our past and it's there. And I personally have learned from it and I want to do better and be better and make that better, but I can't, can't always hide what happened. Sometimes by hiding it, you can make it more likely to repeat. I agree. I know this is all a very touchy, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a touchy conversation to have. And we all have different opinions on that. But I agree. And I, I think sometimes when you try to redact or take away those things, I think it creates more questions. Mm -hmm. It sure does. And it gives the illusion that we've evolved past this. And it's like, well, no, we're in this moment in time. But if we forget those lessons, we're more likely to repeat them. I don't know. Sylvia, we're not going to solve this sitting here today. It's fascinating. And it has, again, it has a real impact on people today even though it's not enforceable, it's a piece of history, and no one would want it to be enforceable. It's just still that kind of cloud that it's so hard to avoid, even though we're all trying to do the right things today. It's just frustrating. It is. It's very frustrating. And, you know, on back to the laws regarding it, it's public records or public records. And that's The thing, you know, on one side of the debate is you want everything to be public and accessible except certain things. And that's where it it's just it's a difficult process to you want to protect the public. But I'm with you that sometimes that protection creates more Mm -hmm. question and it's a difficult thing. And I applaud ALTA for taking that on. Well, and anybody listening that thinks this is an interesting uh, problem to try to solve, I'm going to invite them (laughs) to join you guys in the effort and the working group because it does matter. It, It is not, it's not style over substance. It's really not. Those things are substantial and still impactful. But as we've said, we also have our daily working realities where things like this have to be raised and for now, at least talked about. So I encourage any other smart minds listening to, <laughs> they feel like jumping into the water, get on in here, because we're all trying to figure it out together. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, whether we like it or we don't like it, counties and states have budgets and they have to fiscally prepare for these things. And it's an expensive endeavor. I know none of us ever like to hear that, but that's the reality. One state was looking at it and trying to put it on the title industry where it should be us finding the documents. And when you're in the thick and you understand how the industry works and and how public records are accessed and how much we see, it would just be virtually a tough task. I Reno is about a little under 500,000 population. And you look at these larger, like, could you imagine New York or Los Angeles County, some of the larger metropolitan areas trying to go through every document recorded? And that's where 
that's the reality. Yeah, well, and instead of going transaction by transaction, which would be so hit or miss, and to your point, the public records are also interwoven, you'd almost have to go subdivision by subdivision. And then underneath that transfer to transfer, if somebody were really going to take this on, and it would probably be a 30-year project, honestly. Oh, easily. But I mean, to say, well, we're going to catch these transaction by transaction, not in 47 lifetimes. We're not going to do it. Nope. Even though it was a record last couple years, it would still take a long time. (laughs) Still take a long time. All right. Well, thanks for that discussion, because I know it's sort of out there in the ether with some places and, and those that are really down in the weeds of it really understand. And I think some other people think, what the heck's going on? So I, I feel like that was a good overview of that. Yeah. And just to kind of plug that, the Uniform Law Commission, the ULC, is currently working on drafting some language and there is a lot going on. So if people are interested, there's a lot of areas that you can jump in and join and be a part of the discussion and maybe learn some of the issues behind them. Well, and here's another one that I'm very passionate about, and that's about data privacy. And I know I'm on the committee, you guys have been working a lot on that. So again, let's start at the high level. Let's go 101 for the people that maybe aren't as up to speed on this yet. How private is your data? The data that's collected on your behalf by so many, anything you touch and do online, any public record, all of those things are data privacy, healthcare. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's not just our industry dealing with it. It's everywhere and everything you touch, your Facebook page, your Instagram, how much of it are you individually putting out there of your private information and how should that be protected? It's a huge topic. Yes, it is. And the United States as a whole federally is a little slow getting to the conversation table. Europe got way ahead of us, rightfully so. And they have their model, which we've talked about on the podcast a little bit. Interestingly, that left it to sort of our states to begin handling. And I don't think a lot of people would have expected California to be the first one. Of all states to be able to actually pass it. I want to reiterate again, these are just my opinions, not that of the SLURAC committee or anything else I'm involved in. California, the CCPA, California Consumer Privacy Act, was probably one of the first big ones to pass. I think being in business, you understand individually what they're trying to do from the consumer standpoint. And their concept is basically that the consumer's own data is their own data and you have to get express permission from them to use it for anything other than the core service they're engaged directly with you with. Is that a fair synopsis? It has a lot more to it, but again, it made it very difficult for people who do business in other states with a California resident to be able to comply. And Now, of course, the federal bill, a federal bill is being looked at. I just read something yesterday on that. I don't know that it will pass only because it's not as cumbersome, for lack of a better word, as the California bill. And a federal bill 
could, and I don't know the language, I've not read it, so could supersede and take over a state bill. So I think because California's is so big and has such tight requirements, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a challenge to pass a federal. Other states have passed some good privacy legislation. And again, the Uniform Law Commission is also working on that right now. Our industry for us, I think the biggest thing is, and a lot of people probably don't really realize how heavily we're regulated on a state level and federal in the insurance side of things. And so we're already required under the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act that passed We're already required to keep things private. And if any information we get, if we are going to give that to a third-party company, we have to tell you and you have a right to opt out. We've been providing data privacy statements for years since that passed. So that's our big thing is to get the carve out on our industry because we have to get real. We handle a lot of privacy matters. We have your information. We're recording documents with your name. We're very careful and redact anything that's recorded that has a second identifier to you that that is redacted. Most lenders, I mean, I can remember back in the day signing loan documents with a customer and their social security number was right on the deed of trust. And way back, I mean, that was, well, I've been in management now off a desk since 1996, probably. And I remember thinking even back then, wow, I don't want mine recorded that way. So lo and behold, People are figuring out they ought not to do that. The lenders, most, I haven't seen a document, at least in our circle, that would contain private information in years because everyone woke up and kind of went, oh, fraud, as you know, is a huge issue. Wire fraud, identity fraud, every piece of it now is just, it's rampant. You know, I just had a credit card hacked the other day and had to get a new one that I probably used online and who knows how, but, and we're, I don't know, I consider myself because being in the industry pretty careful with where I put things and what I do with them. And I'm very, very careful with online banking and, you know, all those things. And it still happened. I probably bought something, but again, It all circles back to now people are realizing, I do believe other countries are ahead of us in this arena as well. So we're a little bit behind. But for our industry, the biggest thing is, is that we're already held to a very high standard. And so we're just looking to be able to have that carve out. I don't love that word, but it is what it is. If we're already fiscally responsible to protect your data, then we should be okay with what we're federally bound to now. That's probably on the land title side, the biggest thing for us in the privacy. And again, 
when it crosses states, and again, in Reno, we're very close to Lake Tahoe. When a state like California passes a law like that, it was a very, we had to react very quickly to it to be able to not only deal with our federal requirement, but now we had to add in California's requirement and realize how much does it affect us. And at that time, I was a title agent. I wasn't working for a larger corporation like now. Those things fell onto us individually, you know, as the smaller, and we weren't small by any means, but as the agent, you know, to have to, oh dear, we have to look at this and react. So I'm really happy to see that ALTA has gotten involved in that and they're helping states look at the laws and just try to keep it consistent. Because again, we all come back to whether we love hearing it or we don't. Companies have to run and these things cost money and to be able to comply, those are all things they just factor in. And whether we love that answer, we don't, it's the reality of it. Yeah, well, I know it is certainly bubbling up on the federal stage as an issue and in in certain other states. I mean, we're going to get something on this. Everybody's going to see something on this if they're not in a state that's already passed something. And a lot of the states are still in their implementation period. We do have the other states that are sort of seeming to rise up to a state model bill, and we'll see what anybody in D.C. does with it probably after the first of the year. But watch this space because there's going to be a lot more on this topic. Oh, yeah. It'll be the topic for sure, mm-hmm. especially for a while. starting next year and in the future. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I'd like to hear a little bit about what's going on in your marketplace. You are in a rather unique marketplace there in Reno. I want to do a kind of a lightning brown, if we can, with types of transactions. If you're starting to see sort of an increase, a decrease, stay the same. HELOCs, are they back in your world yet? They are back in our world. We're not seeing the 100% loan to values on them. Thank goodness. But yes, they are definitely on the increase. We're seeing more people use them to be able to do some home improvements. We're in a market that, as you know, we're fairly high priced as far as our median. We did come back down from June to July about, I don't know that percentage. In June, we were at 600,000 for our median, which is very high. We dropped down to just under 575. We, over the last several years, we've had like a month or less worth of inventory on our market. We're now up to about two months of inventory. So we're, you know, as far as what we're seeing decreasing, obviously, like everyone else, refis are, we're back to a more normal number. We're still closing some. We operate in a lot of rural counties here. So we'll still see them because people will just need to refinance for whatever their reasons are. We have seen a slight increase in having to pay off debts, you know, which I wondered, on, yeah. on our end is 
it's honestly a challenge because outstanding checks and all those behind the scenes things when Mm -hmm. checks don't (laughs) get cashed. But we are seeing an increase in that little bit of cash out. But those seem, again, the lenders and thankfully are we're not seeing the 105% or the 100% refinances which i'm just thrilled that we're not because those days were scary in them and i don't i personally don't want to live through the aftermath I say you know what they lead to <laughs> which we then had to live through that and then had to yes. clean that up and eat twigs and berries while it was cleaning itself up too. Yeah. So I'm with you. It's interesting while it's happening, but it's no fun when it plays itself out. How about foreclosures? Are you seeing any of those yet? You know, we're seeing a few, but again, we're nowhere near the numbers we were seeing. Nevada was one of the hardest hit states in the 2008 2009 10 timeline. So, we, for us, <laughs> they're, they're minuscule compared to where we were. We're seeing a few more of them. Each state, again, has passed, updated, or changed their, if you're in a state that allows a non judicial foreclosure, even those are a little more. There's a lot more requirements that the lender has to jump through, but we are starting to see more notice of defaults in Nevada, which is the first step of a foreclosure. Mm -hmm. So those are probably going to uptick a little bit anyway. I think so. We're in a unique area because the difference this time is people have equity. And even if our prices go down a little bit or... We were in a red-hot seller market for so long during the pandemic where a buyer didn't dare ask for a home inspection or if the appraisal didn't come in, they had to agree up front, they would go ahead and buy. We had bidding wars, we had all those things, and now, now we're not seeing that. And I personally am really happy to not be in that market We're lacking affordable housing, as are most places, our rentals are very high. And the builders, I think, at least in our area, we have a lot of regional. We have a lot of the large builders here, too. Mm -hmm. But we still have a lot of regional people that have been in this area and they lived through that time. They've not overbuilt. I think they've maybe underbuilt just a little. They've certainly underbuilt on the affordable part of things. So we're seeing that shift now. We are down, obviously, in orders. But this last couple weeks, we're starting to see a little bit of a pickup just to get back. And I think it's, it's really that timeline where the seller's have to realize it's no longer a full-on, oh, I'm going to demand what I want and I'm going to get it in Mm -hmm. five days or less. Now it's taking maybe 24 days, I think, is our average to sale. But sellers are allowing inspections again, and they're offering, you know, credit toward closing costs to help the buyer maybe buy down that rate. So we're seeing more of that, which I'm I personally am really glad and our market needs to, I think it leads to a healthier, more sustainable market. Very sustainable. Agreed. Yeah. And I'm wondering too about, so depending on who you talk to and which market, some people have seen 
cash rule the day every day for years and some people have a little flurry of it and then it's down. What do you guys see with regard to cash buyers? You know, we're still holding honestly at about 29% cash buyers, I think was the last number I saw. And again, we still have the influx of the Bay Area coming into our market, Las Vegas, the other end of the state, people here in Nevada, and they automatically think of Las Vegas. But we're closer to California. Las Vegas, though, has the Los Angeles, Southern California influx of cash. So yeah, we are still seeing it. The investors, I feel they're out there and they're still busy. But I do believe they're backing off. We're seeing those close a little bit different now on that end. But yes, we are still seeing cash. Is there anything else that you have on your radar right now that you're in your spare time trying to brush up on or keep abreast of that's going on in the industry? All the ones we talked about today, I think, are just huge. They're huge, important issues. And we all do our day-to-day job, which for me is ever fluid. I don't ever get to have a list of, oh, today I'm going to do X because (laughs) my day can change like in a matter of seconds to what I'm going to be dealing with. So learning that was a huge curve that, you know what, you no longer You don't get to have a to-do list. You can have it, but no, you might get to it. You might not. I think the other committee for ALTA that I'm involved in and I'm trying to get more proactive in is the congressional liaison and stepping outside that box and realizing that, yes, all these things that happen in my office daily and every phone call and every email that can change things, at the end of the day, we have to be heard and we have to be a part of the process. So it's just getting out and engaging with our Congress people, our Senate, even on a state level, but more so on a federal level. They really, really, really want to know who we are and what we do. They do. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers people think, Sylvia, they have this misnomer that, oh, what do I have to say to an elected official? Oh, their time is so valuable. What we do is so boring. I mean, we've tried talking about it at parties and that doesn't go well. So why, or I don't know one. So why would I just, what would I just pick up the phone and call them? So I'm sure you felt that way in the beginning. I know I felt that way in the beginning. Let's take a minute if we can and talk people through how different the actual experience is compared to what you're fear it might be. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to tell you that I did not, the first time I had to go to Carson City (laughs) and sit before the legislature and present a bill that I wasn't just shaking like a leaf and because there's so much protocol to, yes, Madam Chair, and, you know, all of that that you have to learn and do. But I remember and I'm going to quote Nick Hacker here, the first time that, and he actually was a part of the ALT board at that point, and we were doing the restrictive covenant, where it was the, I know I just did not say that correctly, but the the transfer 
fees that were being built in where they were recording that forever you will pay a 1% fee to the initial developer. And Nick came in on behalf of ALTA and went with me down to help present the bill. And we got a law passed in Nevada. And I remember Nick telling me, you know, you're either at the table or you're on the table. And I just have kind of never forgotten that. And I give him a hard time every time I see him. But he's the one that, I guess, kind of pushed me and made me realize that, you know, you're absolutely right. And these people, they have no idea about most of what we're speaking about, even though maybe sometimes I may not think it. I'm the expert in the room for them on this topic. And they want to hear your perspective. You can tell when we haven't been in the room because a proposed bill will come out and you know the feeling when you read it and you go, well, it's like they didn't even talk to us. Well, did you go sit and talk with them? Right. (laughs) As you do it, it just becomes easier. There's always a connection somehow, some way, whether it be a bill that they're looking at on a state level because a constituent brought it up to where you can connect with them and be able to walk them through. You can look at that bill. However, understand this is what will happen when they go to buy or sell or refinance, and here's why. And most of them are so appreciative of the time that you took with them and just For me, it's really fun to be able to have the state connection. And then once I got involved with ALTA and actually went to Washington, D.C. on the Hill for the first time, and I was the lone representative for Nevada, Steve Gottheim got stuck with me (laughs) on the first (laughs) day. And But I went into Senator Cortez Masto's office at that time. And you know what? I had worked with her back in the 06, 08, 10 legislative session when she was the attorney general in Nevada. And we worked together on revamping some of Nevada's foreclosure laws. So, of course, we were in that essence, the education person, not we didn't take a stance either way. But she remembered that. And every time I go, Representative Horsford, same thing. I worked with him on a state level. So I met with him. We did a virtual call. And he remembered like immediately. I think it might be the voice. I don't know. Well, they do remember. And again, we feel like we're being burdensome because we want to talk about this thing that's important to our work. And we're again, we're so used to people not understanding or frankly caring what we do that we think, oh, nobody wants to for me. I don't want to take up their time. I blah, blah, blah. But what happens is they do remember. And if they didn't care about what you were talking about, they probably wouldn't remember. So it's your self-evidence right there that it does matter, that it is impactful. It is very impactful. And it's it really is easy. You just have to do it once or twice. But it makes such a difference. And I think that I feel like I'm part of two of the best committees for ALTA. The, the SLURAC is so critical, but then congressional liaisons is too. And to be able to go back to D.C. and go on the Hill, that's probably one of my most favorite things to do. It's always, you're always nervous going there, but they do, Alta's board does such a great job of prepping you. And giving you the materials a couple of years ago, well, the last time it was live, 
I think in 19, I went back and took my then 15-year-old grandson with me on the hill, and I made him on the plane. He had to read the topics. I made sure that he understood at least the basics of what we were there to talk about. And he did a great job. And to be honest with you, this will sound horrible, but it was almost like taking a puppy or a baby somewhere because to have him with me, to meet personally with our, our representatives, Congressman Day, Senator Cortez Masto and Rosen, they were all just so happy to have a young person there. Well, that's such an amazing gift of a life skill that you've given him by virtue of that. And now you're solving a future problem because now when it's, if it becomes time for him to go do something like that, he's not going to have the nerves that you or I had. He'll say, oh yeah, I know how this is done. And not a presumptive way in a, everybody can go do this. He just won't have the fear and breathing into a brown paper bag that we did. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. But yeah, that, I don't know. That's probably one of my, I guess, favorite things to go and do. And you've been there too. And Mm -hmm. it just, it's such a wonderful touch. And becoming one of the first women presidents back in 2004. Mm -hmm. Of Nevada, yep. Yep. I was one of, maybe there was one more. Now there's a few more for sure. But at that time, I had had to find my path and find my mark I guess, for lack of a better word. And I just opted for, well, I should rephrase that. I love to golf. (laughs) Can Mm -hmm. I golf? (laughs) Not great, but I love getting out. But that will never be my place, I guess, to meet and conduct business. Mostly, I don't always have the time to go and do it. But I had to find, like, my place and my gift to bring to the industry and to the table. And I just opted for the education part of it. During trade, it was pretty hysterical when all that was going on at how Mm -hmm. many people that I hadn't talked to in years reached out, went, now what is this? And I just found that to kind of be my place and my my gift, I guess. It is. And then from that, it led into more of the legislative that you have to be part of the process mm-hmm. and you have to care. And I think in Nevada, what initially got me interested was they passed legislation regarding a surety bond requirement for title companies, which to me, I think it's a little bit much, but no one knew the bill passed. That kind of sparked me to pick up the phone and NLTA, Nevada Land Title, had kind of drifted away during Mm -hmm. that time. And so that was kind of the resurrection of, hey, how did this happen? How do I get involved and be a part so that at least we can know these things are coming? And so just the legislative. And then, of course, that led to the national and then off into all of these other things that I just feel like that's kind of been my my thing, my mark to leave. And that'll be my legacy when that time mm-hmm. comes. Well, and you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you now. So this is season six of the podcast. And for season six, we're focusing 
100% on women leaders in the industry, of which it was important to us to have you. And, and that's very much the reason why. And I love how you describe that you, to find your in, you start with one thing that feels natural or important to you, like the educational aspect, and then it just snowballs. It doesn't snowball. That makes it sound negative. It, one thing leads to another. So you don't have to see the whole thing. If we have a young person listening out there that says, oh my gosh, how do I become Sylvia? Well, you didn't set out to become Sylvia either. You did one thing and then you did the next thing and you did the next thing. And after not too long, you surprised how quick it can happen. You look back and you go, oh, now I'm, <laughs> oh, now I'm Sylvia. And now you're thinking about what is going to be my legacy. And it all probably happened comparatively in the blink of an eye. It did. It did. Time flies when you're having fun, for sure. Yes. So, and in yes. this business, we're having fun every day. <laughs> it's a new so adventure. It is a new adventure. Even 32 years in, it's a new adventure. It is. Thank you so much. We appreciate your leadership. Thank you for your guidance and your involvement. And thanks for joining us today as a guest. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for acknowledging the women. And I think that's always a good thing. We matter. We do matter. Thank you, Sylvia. And thanks for your leadership on so many important issues facing our business today. We tend to focus on what happens at the national level, but it is often in our individual states where we need to have the most expertise. So thanks for being on that wall for us. We appreciate you. Now, listeners, if you were at Alta One last week, wasn't it great? And if you weren't able to go this year, well, let's start planning how to get you there next year, okay? And if that's just not in the cards for you anytime soon, don't worry. We'll keep bringing you timely guests covering important topics so that you can keep your commitments. Because what you do really matters. <laughs>